Well, good morning. Good to have you here. Last evening, uh, my wife and my daughter and I were watching the uh, basketball game over at the Huffs. They'd gone to bed. Um, but we, we went to watch the end of the game. And, and it, it was, I, I don't really care about either team, so it didn't make a whole lot of difference. But I was actually interested by the commercials. And, and I couldn't help but think to myself, isn't it interesting what they do with commercials? Commercials, because they want to market product, it's all about making you feel discontent with your current situation. Isn't it? So I don't even know what they were talking about, but they talk, you can have the Samsung 15XZV. What, or I, I, it wasn't it. I don't know what it was. I'm thinking like, my phone works okay. Like, and what they want you to know, no, 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 that's not good. You, you got to have that. And, and I understand that, and, and I get all that kind of stuff. But in many ways, kind of, and that's how marketing works. I get it. What troubles me is when people allow that to shape the very way that they view themselves and their situations. It's easy to become discontented, isn't it? You, you can become discontent with who you are. You may not like your size. You may not like the way you look. You may not like a whole host of things. You may not like the situation you're currently in. I don't like my job. I don't like my marriage. I don't like the fact that I'm not married. And a whole host of other things. And it's very, very easy for all of us to become discontent. And, and I guess at the end of the day, whether we realize it or not, if you get to the point where you dislike yourself or the situation God has placed you in, you're really diminishing as a believer whose you are. Because you are God's. This is not a problem only in our day, folks. This has been a problem with believers in every age. And when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you're going to find that they're struggling too with discontent. Now, now, now in all fairness, what we're going to be looking at today is, are some topics that my guess is nobody is in here is going like, you know, I've really been struggling with the circumcision, uncircumcision issue. My guess is you didn't wake up thinking about that, okay? And you probably didn't wake up today saying, slave, free man. Man, wow, that is like a huge problem for me right now. I I get it. So although our scenarios and situations may not be identical, we too struggle like they did with either who we perceive ourselves to be and not liking it, or the situation we find ourselves in and not liking it. Do you see? So the principle is the same, although the specific application can be different. So we're going to walk through their problem because at the end of the day, their problem is our problem. And the solution Paul gives them is the solution he wants to give us. Okay? So, so watch as, I, as, as we kind of walk through this. Um, you may be wondering, over the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking through 1 Corinthians 7. 
You may be wondering, hey, Finkbeiner, I noticed on that last slide, you're starting in verse 17. Like, don't you like the first 16 verses? Yeah, we're getting to it. And just to let you know, Paul organizes this chapter. He does this often in the book of 1 Corinthians. Scholars will use the term in ABA formatting. What that means is he'll be dealing with a a, a particular topic, then he'll go off and, and maybe give you the foundation or what's absolutely critical for that issue, and then he'll come back to it again. And see, Paul does that in 1 Corinthians 7. Because one of the things that they're challenged with and they're struggling with is marriage and singleness. Does that sound like a problem we should probably be talking about? (laughs) It's a huge issue, isn't it? And so Paul's going to talk about that in the first 16 verses, primarily focusing on the marital aspect. And then in the end of the chapter, he's going to be talking about marriage and singleness, but he's going to be focusing on the single aspect. But what's fascinating is this middle section. The middle section says nothing about marriage. It says nothing about singles. Because Paul is giving us this theological foundation that if we can understand this, it will have all kinds of ramifications for understanding how we should handle marriages and how we should handle singleness. Do you see? So I've chosen to kind of rearrange it and preach today just on the middle section. And then next week, I'm going to come back and look at the first 16 verses focusing on marriage and singleness, but focusing on marriage. And the last message will focus on singleness. Just, just kind of make sense how, how we, why, what the rationale is for what we're doing. Um, the, the other thing that's, that, that's, that's really interesting to me, this is how our section breaks down. Paul's going to give a principle. He's going to give an example. He's going to restate the principle. He's going to give another example. And he's going to restate the principle again. So Paul's thinking, by the time I get done these these eight verses, if you don't have the principle, you're just not listening. (laughs) You see? So he organizes it that way so we can't miss it. But his examples come from a different realm. They come from the realm of circumcision and uncircumcision or from slavery and freedom. And here's one of the other things that's really fascinating to me, and we, we don't have time to look into it. But, but for just a minute, you think, I mean, Paul has such a feel for the struggle of this culture. He can put his thumb right on the areas where people have a hard time and he wants the gospel to come into those very areas and so transform them from the inside out that they can handle those situations very differently. And so in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, Paul will make this statement. For those that are in Christ, there is neither what? Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. And he sees those as three critical issues that you can't be so consumed by those things that you forget that doesn't define you. But it's everywhere. Like, how can you say, what do you mean it doesn't define me? I'm either married or single. I'm a man or a woman. Like, hello? I I get that. And in their day, you're either a slave or free. I, I get that too. And you're either a Jew or a Gentile. But being in Christ, 
relativizes all of those things by putting it in perspective. So in some sense, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's dealing with those same topics. Although he primarily wants to deal with the marriage and singleness issue, he can't help but bring these other significant areas to bear because that's where the people live. It's not exactly our street address, but it is our challenge. So as we, we talk about these things, you may be thinking about your own marriage, or you may be thinking about singleness. You may be thinking about your own sexuality, your gender. I mean, all these debates that go stirring in our world, the Bible speaks to them, folks. And it gives us this foundational truth that we can then take and apply to those kinds of things. You may not like your job. You may hate your boss. You may want to quit. What if you were a slave and you couldn't quit? What if there was no such thing as upward mobility? There was just survivor, survival. That's it. Do you see? So as we look at their problems, remember yours, okay? And the hope that they are given will be the hope that we're given to. So Paul begins there in verse 17 with a very simple principle. Look at what he says. And I'm reading from the New American here. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and thus I direct in all the churches. Now, I I don't want to get too technical with you here, but that first word only is kind of interesting. It might not be the best translation. What Paul is, Paul has just finished a section where where he's made some general principles about staying where you are, but he also gives some exceptions. And and what Paul is saying here at the beginning of verse, verse 17 is this, look, although it's true that there's exceptions, and you may end up changing your situation for a variety of reasons, and that's totally fine, Here's the general principle for how you should live your life. And look at what he says. It's fascinating, folks. As the Lord assigned to each one, as God called each one, in this manner let him walk. And thus in all the churches. Here's what I love about that, thus in all the churches. You know what Paul's saying? What I'm going to tell you guys right now at Corinth isn't only good for Corinth. It's good in Ephesus. And it's good in Thessalonica. And it's good in Philippi. And it's good in Washington, New Jersey. And wherever you might live. Paul says, I say this in all the churches because like all the churches need it. It works everywhere. As God has allotted as God is called. Do you know, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, and you accepted him, God named you as his child. As God has called you, you are my child. As God allotted. But you know what? When Christ saved you, he saved you in a particular situation, didn't he? Maybe you were unemployed. Maybe you were single. 
Maybe you were struggling with physical illness. I, I don't know. But here's the bottom line. God knows exactly where you are. Do you realize that? He has allotted. He has allowed. He, it doesn't mean he's behind everything, but it means he's over everything. And God knows, and what he says is, I want you to walk out of the sense that a sovereign God is over everything you're experiencing, and you are his own child. Walk with that in mind. It'll put a skip, it'll put, it'll, it'll put a skip into your walk. It will. Paul says, you can remain in those situations because you see a sovereign God who is for you in those situations. He then focuses in on this issue of circumcision there in verses 18 and 19. And here's one of the things that's fascinating to me. Paul does make the argument. He's going to make, he understands exceptions, but he's going to say, you know, there's some things that should never change in your life. You are right where God wants you, and that should never change. The one he gives here is circumcision and uncircumcision. Look at what he says. Verse 18. Was any man called already circumcised? So when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were a Jew. What you were. Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? You were a Gentile. Let him not be circumcised. First, Paul gives the command. And then he's going to give the reason here in just a minute. It's powerful. You don't miss it. In the ancient world, there was incredible pressure on some Gentiles who wanted to walk with God to become Jewish. Because they were told you needed to become Jewish. And one of the things Paul says, if you're trying to find the life, the way you're supposed to live, it is not coming under the standards of others. It's merely coming under the lordship of Christ. If you are a Gentile, you don't have to become a Jewish proselyte. You don't. The other thing we know from antiquity, and I want to handle this tenderly because we're with children. He says, if you're circumcised, don't try to be uncircumcised. You go like, that seems kind of tricky. <laughs> However, in the ancient world, we have records of this. You can read about it in First Maccabees and Josephus. You have Jews who wanted to compete in some of the games where, frankly, in some of the games, guys would c- compete naked. Okay? That's, that's what they would do. I'm not su- suggesting. I'm just saying it. And, um, and one, of, one of the things is you would, have, you would have certain individuals that were Jewish that were looking for ways to look very different in certain areas. I just say it that way. I, you, can, you can think about it beyond that. I'm just saying they thought in these terms because they were saying, look, if I'm going to be accepted by the larger Greco-Roman culture, I can't look this way. I've got to look that way because that's the way you're supposed to look. And Paul says... In those areas, don't you ever change. Someone says, you got to have this to really have an in with God. Forget it. You don't need it. Dump it. Don't go there. 
And someone else says, well, if you want acceptance in the larger culture, you've got to look a certain... Forget it! Paul says, I'll tell you why, in verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Paul repeat that, not quite verbatim, but pretty close in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Do you know what he's saying? And think about it in the ancient world where, where there was this ongoing tension in the first century to have a relationship with God. Okay, you need Jesus. I get that. But don't you need to come to Jesus by becoming Jewish? And Paul's saying, no, you don't. You don't. Circumcision, when it comes to a lasting life relationship with God to make life what it's supposed to be, you don't need it. It's nothing. But don't get cocky over your uncircumcision. That's nothing too. All that matters is that you bow the knee before the God who has brought you near in the person of his son. And you live under the new covenant that he has established to his glory. Do you know what, folks? That frees us, doesn't it? No, I know you're not struggling with the circumcision, uncircumcision stuff. I get it. But you are struggling with things that, boy, life only can really become meaningful if I have that. And yet in your mind, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. And Paul is saying, walking with the true and living God is really all that matters. Matter of fact, I, I don't quite like the translations. I, I, if you don't mind, I shouldn't do this, but I'll do it anyway. Literally in the Greek, it says this. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. My translation puts in there is what matters. You know what I think might be a better put in there? If I say to you, circumcision means nothing. Uncircumcision means nothing. Keeping the commandments of God means what? Everything. I think everything would be a better fill-in there myself. See what he's saying? It's not pursuing that. It's pursuing that. That will make all the difference in the world. Do you know what I love about that? The gospel always frees us. It never curses us. Can you imagine if the gospel said... Well, you got to be a certain size if this thing's going to work for you. Or a certain weight. A certain IQ. A certain... No. No. You come to the true and living God. You are given of His Spirit. He works in you from the inside out so you can begin to learn what it means and be freed by obeying Him. And that's everything. All this other frilly stuff... That people are always saying, hey, in a billion years from now, if it's not going to make any difference then, it shouldn't make any difference now. But obedience matters. Do you see? Verse 20. Paul doesn't want you to miss it, so he gives you the principle again. Let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. And again, I... 
I just want to, I don't know what your translation says. Most probably say condition or situation. But literally in the Greek, it's the word calling. This is amazing to me. Let me read it again then. Let each man remain in that calling in which he was called. Now that's a little bit different. I want you to think about this, folks. This is really important. I've been struggling with this all week, just wrestling. Talk. My wife and I have been talking back and forth and, and just trying to wrestle with it. But here's the point. It's not merely, he said earlier, God calls you to himself. He names you his people in the situation in life in which you find yourself. That, that's what we've already learned, okay? That's, that's true. That's true. Here he says, I want you to remain in that calling in which you were spiritually called. Do you know what he's saying? Do you mean that situation which I don't like is part of what God wants for me at least right now? That's exactly what he's saying. Does that, does that set you back? Paul, I don't think I like that. It's one thing to say, oh, I've been made a child of God in this crummy, rotten, good-for-nothing situation. I, you know, we all, we all like, kind of think that way. And God's saying, I am so sovereign that that very situation in your life is my calling, at least for right now. It may not be permanent, but for right now. Wow. Let me make it even harder on you. You're living in the first century. And you're a slave. How would that sit with you? We don't know for sure, but many scholars suggest that the city of Corinth may have been composed by about a third slaves, a third freed men and women, which means they used to be slaves, and a third of people who are freeborn. They've always been free. And, you know, you could fudge those a little bit, but if that, that kind of helps. That would mean in a church like this, unfortunately we have four sections, but I don't know, roughly. Everybody from about, and I know, I'm not, I, I know Don and Musk is a wanderer here, but I'll, I'll be back, okay. Everybody from about here over, you're all slaves. All slaves. Everybody from about here over to about here, you used to be slaves, but you're, you're a freed person now. You've been freed, used to be a slave. That, that's not the highest standard in, in Corinth, but it's better than that one. And the rest of you were freeborn from the get-go. How do you feel about them? How could God call what you're experiencing a calling? Does that sound bizarre to you? Do you know the way slaves could be treated in antiquity? Now, it's true. The slavery of the first century was different than the slavery of the 1800s in our country. Our Ours was all driven by race. There were people, certain, a group was considered less than human. Stupid, foolish lie. But it's what people bought into. 
that slavery in the first century, you could become a slave all kinds of ways. My country beat your country. Got to do something with the prisoners. We make them slaves. That's what you do. Some people were born into slavery. Some people said, it's too hard to make it economically. I'm going to become a slave, work for a guy. At least I know I'll get fed every day. So some people actually made themselves slaves. People did all kinds of things. And some slave jobs, frankly, in antiquity were pretty good. A master wanted slaves who were educated, unlike in our day, in the 1800s. And so you could have a very educated person. And there's debates on some of these things. Normally by about the age of 30, if you were a normal slave in a decent home of a master, by about the age of 30, you would probably be freed. 30, 35. Debated. But it's still slavery. And God says, I am so sovereign. I am so with you where you are. I'm always up to something. Which it's always my glory and your good. That it's not lost time for you. For I am there. Do you see how radical that is? It's either the biggest fairy tale in the world or there's a sovereign God, and that's true. Is that unbelievable, folks? God says, I am so in control. You are my child. Yeah, but I'm working for this master, and he's a pain in the neck. But I got something for you there. You can honor me there. You can grow there. Wow. So look at what he says. Uh, verse, uh, verse 21. Again, same process. He asks a question, then answers it, and then gives you a reason. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. Really? Are you kidding me? Is that how you feel over there? Don't worry about it? I worry about it every day of my life. No, because the gospel relativizes all that stuff. There's something bigger. But if you're able to become free, rather, exercise it. You know what he says? Paul's a realist. So he looks at this group over here and he says, you guys are slaves. You're 33 years of age. Your master's going to come to you and say, I want you to become a freed person. Now, you're still going to have connection with your master. He's still going to help you out some, but you're going to become free. And Paul says, what I don't want you to say in that situation is, no, I'm going to stay right where I am, tough. No. If your situation can change, I mean, Paul's not, he's a realist. If your situation can change, it's okay to change it. But in changing it, remember something. You're always about honoring the God who has given you that new opportunity. This is never a walk away from God now. It's just another opportunity to honor the God that I love. So Paul's a realist. He says, general principle, remain where you are. You get a chance to move somewhere else, it's okay to take. Look, you're in a job you don't like. Would Paul say, hey, hey, I don't care. 
You stay with that crummy good-for-nothing job for the rest of your life and grin and bear it. I don't think Paul would say that. You know what I think Paul would say? In the job you're in right now, God has lessons for you. It's not lost time. You need to remember whose you are. And know that God has placed you there now to honor him and to grow. Now, if you find another job and you feel you can honor Christ more there, gives you more opportunities, go for it. But never forget God in the process. Do you see? But don't wallow in your discouragement and depression and just say like, I'm lost now, it's no good, life stinks, I have, it's purposeless. No, no. God is here. God is up to something. If you get another chance, go for it. It's fine. But God is with you right there. Do you see how liberating that is, folks? You know what that means? If you know Jesus Christ, it includes you. Yeah, but Finkbinder, you don't know my situation. I may not. But God is there. And you are his child. And that changes everything. So, look what he goes on to say. Um, Listen, listen, I love this. Look at the reason he gives in verse 22. This is so good. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Do you see what he's doing? Look, he's coming to you guys. I'm coming to you guys in just a second. So we're kind of zipping through the middle group here. But here's what he says. How can you say that to me as a slave? And he says, I'll tell you why. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see somebody in a situation that is far gone, without any hope, no future, nothing. He sees somebody who is in relationship with him as a person who has been freed. You, and you're not free for yourself. You're freed to him. See yourself as free because spiritually at the end of the day, you're not defined by your culture. You are defined by God. And that changes everything. You guys, you could sing that song, Born Free. I don't know, you that old song? I don't know, whatever. But Born Free, I won't sing it. I, I won't do it. I won't. Okay, Carmelo, stop it. Stop. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I always tell people I'm a good congregational singer. You know, that's what I am. Okay? And even there, it's sometimes questionable. But anyway, um, so you know what Paul looks at you guys? Because your tendency is to look at them and say, yeah, but they're slaves. And I was born free. Paul says, okay, they are in relationship with God. Look at them as people who have been freed into the relationship with God. And you look at yourself as being a slave of Christ. Maybe that will put things into perspective for you. See what he's doing? For both groups, it's all about Jesus. But it's just kind of leveling things out there a little bit. What it's saying is, it doesn't matter what your situation is. I have no right to look at somebody, who should I pick over here? 
Yeah, yeah. Dave. Dave's good with these things. I have no right, if I'm from your group, I have no right to look over at Dave and say, Dave, you're nothing but a slave. <laughs> Dave. Oh, no. He's my brother in Christ, and he's a freed man in relationship to Christ. I may be from this group looking over there and say, you guys are so cocky, you think you're something. Well, just remember, just remember, they're slaves, but they're slaves of Christ. Do do, do you see how he does that? It's all oriented to Jesus in a way that it pushes back the things in our life that we get bound up with by orienting us back to Christ. Very powerful. Look at the second reason. Um, this, is, this is another really good one. Look at verse 23. And I couldn't help but think about this in light of communion today, too. It's so terrific. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He's using, doing a play on words here. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. You know what he's saying this? He's saying this for all of us. Saying it for the free, free person, the freed person, the slave. Every one of you was lost and undone and had no hope. We were all slaves of sin. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, everybody is a slave to something or someone. You were all a slave to sin. But God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins to buy you at great price out of that into his lordship. You were bought with a price. It's the same motivation he uses at the end of chapter 6. Same thing. It's why I should be sexually pure. Because at the end of the day, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And that changes everything, folks. The gospel changes everything about how we see ourselves first and how we live our lives in light of that. You were bought with a price. Don't be, don't be enslaved to men. Now, he's not saying, hey don't, be, hey, don't choose to be a slave. I don't think he's saying that at all. You know what he's saying? When you live by the world's system of upward mobility, and what makes a person a whole person, and what you need for this, and what you need for that, all that kind of stuff. You are enslaved to the world. The gospel is all about being freed from that. So as I've told you many times, the glasses you wear, your worldview, to live all of life is the gospel. I'm freed from that, so I'm freed to be his slave. And that changes everything. Paul's Paul's all about reorienting us, folks. If I'm a victim of my circumstances, if I'm a victim of my situation, if I'm a victim, 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 there is no hope for me unless you can take that thing away. The gospel is about helping us see ourselves differently. And it frees us to know him and to love him and live for him. What could be better than that, folks? He ends with this principle, verse 24. 
brethren, or we might say brothers and sisters, people who are part of the family of God. Let each man remain with God in that in which he was called. Now, there's going to be some exceptions. He understands that. He's already given us one. He's going to give us someone. He's going to give us someone marriage and singleness too. So I get, I get all that. But what Paul's after is a general principle that says, don't live your life constantly going like this. And oh, I just got to get more. And I just, no, 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 no. Live your life knowing that God sees you differently than the world around you. And God is in the midst of transforming you right where you are. And that changes everything. So here in one sentence, a little bit long, sorry, but I'll read it. But try to put it all together, it would probably be this. God-centeredness, knowing who I am in Christ, knowing that following him is all that, it's everything. God-centeredness produces contentment in circumstances that should never change or may never change, and wisdom in circumstances that could possibly change. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't change your situation, but you do it in wisdom under the lordship of Christ. Do you see? That gives hope to all of us. I said it before, I'll mention it again. Whose you are is far more important than who people think you are. Or what people want you to be. Or what you think you are, who you are, or what you think you should be. The gospel centers us on what is most important. In in the weeks to come, we're going to focus primarily on marriage and singleness. Do you think there's any discontent in any of those areas? Oh, wow. For all of us. And the gospel will give us transforming hope to be his people, to begin to learn what contentment means in a world that's filled with discontentment. Father, thank you for your liberating word. It is a word which we need each and every day, Lord. We are so prone to wander. We are so prone to forget. Father, I would pray especially for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. I don't know all that they're going through. I don't know how they're feeling about their singleness, their marriage, their job. what they wrestle with in their private world and think about when nobody else sees or knows. I don't know, Lord, but you do. Would you, through your spirit, overwhelm them afresh with the wonder of whose they are? Of a God who has bought them at great price. Of a God who 
who calls them sons and daughters. Of a God who says it will take all eternity to just to begin to understand the incredible grace that you have extended to us. We don't know the half of it, Lord. Overwhelm us with Christ. Overwhelm us with the fact that you are with us and that you're always up to something in whatever situation we find ourselves. And Father, for any that would be with us today that have never bowed the knee to Christ, Lord, may this be the day that they trust him. Because Christ and obedience to him and coming under his lordship is everything for life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.